And now, Canada Hoops, hosted by Maddie Ireland. Welcome back to Canada Hoops, everyone. It's your boy, Maddie. Thank you for your tremendous support last season. Please continue to like, share, and subscribe to Canada Hoops. It's a true privilege to kick off season two of the podcast with today's guest. He represents Toronto, Ontario. He's a former Western Mustang. He's the lead announcer for college basketball on ESPN. You can catch him on Rogers Sportsnet calling the Toronto Blue Jays. He has covered and called Canada basketball. He's an iconic voice in sports broadcasting, a proud Canadian. He is Dan Shulman. Dan, welcome to Canada Oops. Thank you, Maddie. Thank you for having me. And and yes, I lied. My favorite part was that last part. He is a proud Canadian because I am definitely uh, a proud Canadian. I've I've, uh, worked a lot professionally down in the U.S. and I uh, you know, I've loved everything I've done with ESPN and, and have friends and family all over the U.S., but uh, yes, I am a proud Canadian. Well, I had to put that in there, and I know that's a big part of why uh, I think you were keen to come on and, and share your love of uh, Canadian basketball, and we'll get into that uh, throughout the podcast. Uh, how are things, Dan? Take us through this past year and a half or so for you and your family with the pandemic, you know, both personally and professionally. How have you had to pivot and readjust so to speak yeah like you know like everybody uh life is different than it than it was and we'll see what it turns into over the next couple of years but um i consider myself very fortunate um everybody close to me is healthy thank god and everybody is finding their way um it's i have four kids it's impacted all of them i guess in slightly different ways but um everybody is doing great uh my oldest son got married this summer it was supposed to be a bigger wedding. It wound up being seven people, but that doesn't matter. Uh, all that matters is that uh, they're a wonderful couple and uh, and they're happy. And I got to be there, which is uh, which is great. But uh, knock on wood, everybody is is doing okay. And and I hope we're closer to the finish line than the the starting line on this thing. Yeah, agreed. It's been uh, a long haul for a lot of us, and you know, I think it's important to take time to reflect on the little things and um, appreciate what really matters throughout this period. Uh, Well, uh, we truly appreciate you joining us, like I mentioned before recorded, and I was just hoping we could kind of get into your story and your love of sports, you know, what was, what was little Dan like, and um, just kind of how you grew up and your exposure to sports and how that love of sports grow. Uh, sorry, sure. So, yeah. So, little Dan was Danny, and actually, I'm still Danny to most people. Uh, okay. I prefer Danny. Um, so, although when I come on air, I say, "Hi, this is Dan Shulman." Like, I'm happier if the people I work with say, "Hey, Danny, how about this?" So, right. uh, so little Danny grew up in Toronto. Um, loved sports. I mean, you could not love sports more than I did. Um, unfortunately my love for them was way, way, way stronger than my ability to play them. Like I was okay at this and decent at that, but that's it. Um, but I grew up in the North end of of Toronto in, uh, Willowdale near, near the Bayview and Steeles area uh, of Willowdale. It's part of North York, I guess too. So, um, and loved basketball. It's funny because, so I was born in 1967, I'm 54 years old. So, you know, as I'm really getting into sports in the seventies, basketball is not nearly the thing in Canada then that it is now. You know that. It, I mean, right. it's miles removed. Like nobody had even, the Raptors weren't even a, uh, a dream at, at, at that point. So, but my dad was a pretty good basketball player. He played at Harvard Collegiate in downtown Toronto and they were the city champs in 1954 and 1955. And my dad was the starting center on both of those teams, which is funny to me because he's like six, one and a half, but I guess it was different <laughs> back in the fifties than right. it is now. And yeah. he had, I remember when I was a kid, he, he's a lefty. I'm a lefty too. He had a like a little running hook shot. And I guess that's how you, that's how you get your shot off when you're a six, one and a half center. And he, he wasn't a big scorer. I think he was more the, you know, a good defender and a great teammate and all that. But, but nonetheless, he was a starter on a team that won 
two city championships. So relative to other kids that I grew up with, I was probably a little bit more into basketball than most kids. Hockey was unquestionably my first love as a kid. Enormous Maple Leaf fan in the 70s. Daryl Sittler, Lanny McDonald, Boria Salming, all that. But I did grow up with, you know, knowing the names of John Havlicek and Pete Maravich and Jojo White. You, you didn't see much of it on TV. Again, I was a little kid, and in the 70s, you couldn't see much. But by the time the 80s rolled around, um, both on a college basketball level and an NBA level, I was hooked. So by the time I was a teenager, um, you know, by the time Magic got to the NBA and Larry Bird got to the NBA and then Michael got to the NBA, you know, through the 80s, the, uh, so the late, great Laker teams, great Celtic teams, um, great Bulls teams, then the great Pistons teams, I, I think that right. was an incredible NBA era, phenomenal era, and I was all in then. And then I started getting into college basketball hard, really hard. Um, my grandparents used to have a place in Florida, and we'd go down on March break every year, and everybody else would go to the beach, and I'd stay inside and watch March Madness uh, on their television. So, you know, when NC State won it in 83, beating uh, Phi Slamma Jamma, um, uh, Georgetown with Patrick Ewing, uh, Villanova beating Georgetown, Indiana beating Syracuse, Again, I think the 80s, both on a college and pro level, were fantastic uh, basketball eras. So, uh, short question, very long answer. I apologize. I loved all sports. I played as many as I could. Um, had a hoop on the driveway back as a kid, back when nobody had a hoop on the driveway. Uh, so, basketball was always a, a big thing for me. I never could have predicted that it would be as big a part of my adult life as it's been. But um, basketball has always been very, very special to me. That's cool. So uh, your dad's a bit of a role model in terms of the game. You know, I always kind of ask people when they are growing up and starting to play basketball, whatever level, you know, having that role model right in front of you, did you always try to be like him in terms of his game? And, and then there were other role models off, off the court too, but, uh, you know, what was that influence like for, from him? Yeah, we played a little bit. It's funny, my dad was a dentist and he worked crazy long hours. So most of my time on the driveway, my dad wasn't there. I don't have a ton of memories of right. my dad, you know, feeding me passes or beating me in one-on-one -on -one or something like that. I know it did happen, but I don't have a ton of memories. But, but I do know, I do remember my mom driving me around to this program and the after-school program, summer camp, a week at this camp um, to play basketball. And again, I, I wasn't very good. Like I was you know, just good enough to make the high school team, but didn't play a ton. That That's the level I was at. So, right. but I loved playing. Um, and I still, I'm 54 years old and I, I still hack around with my buddies and we play once or twice a week when, when nobody's broken anything, nobody's, you right. know, when, when nobody's, right. nobody's got a cast on or anything like that. So, um, but there, there were a couple of kids in the neighborhood, my age or a year older who played basketball, but it was really once, um, uh, you know, once I got to be about 12, 13, 12, 13 years old, when my parents enrolled me in the odd program or the odd summer camp. But to me, like I, I always realized my, I realized my limitations as a player early. And, and again, never thought I would get into a career as a broadcaster. So there was a big stretch where basketball for me was just watching it on TV, like everybody else, just loving it. And, um, you know, it wasn't like I saw Michael do something and then went out in the driveway and tried to emulate that. Like I, I that wasn't happening. So <laughs> uh, playing above the rim was never in the cards for me. But um, right. but it was always, uh, you know, again, being a kid with a, a basket on your a hoop on your driveway. It was unusual then um, back in 77, 78, 79. Um, and it was nice. It was, I didn't play hockey as a kid. I played a ton of road hockey, street hockey, basement hockey, whatever other kind of hockey you could play. But, you know, so the driveway was like my playground. That, that's just where, you know, you got cool. some time to kill. You got some energy you, you want to burn off or whatever. Just go out in the driveway and shoot. And uh, as long as I left the garage open so that the ball didn't mark up the garage, I didn't, uh, then I didn't get in trouble. I had to make sure the garage was open and the car was out of the garage before I was allowed to play. That's cool. Um, if we can, we'll get into a little bit of the start in terms of broadcasting and sure. we'll go back to, to Western and you're calling basketball and football for the Mustangs on CHRW radio in London. 
Um, you know, what are you, what are your best memories of starting out in those experiences? So it was never intended to, be, to become a career. Right. It was a hundred percent that my parents instilled in my sisters and me do some, do an, have an extracurricular activity, get involved. Don't just go to school. Right. And I actually loved sports. Like I mentioned. So first day of frost week, 1985 at Western, I lined up at the Western Gazette office, which was a, and, and I believe still is a great newspaper at, uh, at Western. And there were like a hundred kids in line before me. And I stood there for about a half an hour and I said, man, this ain't happening. Right, right. <laughs> and I started walking back towards my dorm and walked past a door at the main uh, central building on campus, walked past a door and all it said was Radio Western. And I knocked on the door and somebody said, come in. And I walked in and I said, is this the campus radio station? And they said, yeah. And I said, do you do sports? And they said, yep. And I said, do you need volunteers? And they said, yep. And that's how it started. If I had walked in the other direction, I'm not sure I'd be talking to you. I'm pretty sure I wouldn't be talking to you today. So they had some openings. And again, this is 36 years ago. The world's a different place. Um, It's not like, like I've got a son who goes to Syracuse. He's an aspiring broadcaster. He's in a, in a phenomenal program. Um, It's all laid out in front of them. You know what the steps are that you have to take. Um, I was a math major. I wasn't in journalism or broadcasting or anything. I just happened to knock on the door and they needed some help. So I got a chance to start doing football and basketball games. And I remember I did a lot of basketball. I did some football, but again, I, for what in Canadian, in whatever circle I was in back then, I was, I was kind of a quote basketball guy because I just loved it so much. So I got to do a lot of Western basketball games my memories are, I can still remember for sure four of the starting five, I think. Pod Armstrong and Kevin Armstrong were, uh, they were brothers and they were the starting backcourt. Uh, Chris Cavender, Pete Van de Bovenkamp, they were really good. Western was really good. And one year they made it out to Halifax and for the Nationals. And, and I got to go out to Halifax And um, I stayed in a family's home. I don't remember who they were. There was no money in the budget to put me in a hotel. So somebody knew somebody and I stayed with a family and I called a bunch of games out in Halifax. But I thought it was the most exciting in the world, calling university basketball or university football games back then. And and again, even at this point, I wasn't thinking about it as a career. It was just a hobby at that point. But I I thought it was really cool to be sitting courtside and and calling basketball games. Yeah, no kidding. And uh just a quick shout out to uh, Western. I played 2001 Canada summer games there. Uh, great time, great memories, um, great campus. So Great city, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, great city. Um, yeah. I just wanted to touch on the 94 World Championships in Toronto. I know you called those. Um, that was considered a bit of a showcase, perhaps, of what was to come with the basketball in the country and the Raptors and the Grizzlies entering the NBA a year later. Uh, you know, what do you make of that tournament? Was there a lot of vibe and, and hype to sort of really launch the game in the country and just um, early memories of Steve Nash before that was two years before yeah. he got drafted? Yeah, I think so. It, it was on a personal note, it was one of the biggest breaks I've ever gotten in my life. The right. The demo tape that got me my college basketball job at ESPN was the World Championships in Toronto in 1994 wow. because I don't believe I did any basketball between Western and the world championships play by play. Like there was no play by play that I know of to do in, in Canada back then I started working in radio and Barry, and then I got to CJCL and it became the fan. Uh, I might've done one or two NBA exhibition games on the radio, but you know, to do games, I think it was on CTV to do games on national right. television was huge. Um, so it, it, it was a big deal. Um, and I remember, uh, you know, Rick Fox played for Canada uh, in that tournament. They had a heartbreaking loss to Greece. Uh, I don't remember the the specifics or the score. I think Canada finished seventh. But had they won that game, you know, maybe then they're in that top four and maybe playing for bronze kind of mix, something like that. Right. Uh, I worked with Leo Routens. That's, I believe, when Leo and I met. We've been good friends ever since. And I remember uh, a little kid named Andy Routens 
running around on the court and making 20 footers. And I said, damn, who's that? And Leo said, that's my kid. Nice. And, uh, and then, uh, however many years later, 15 years later, I, I did, I don't know how many of Andy's games at Syracuse, which was really fun. So, no kidding. um, so that's cool to see. Uh, so Leo and I had a great time. I thought it was a really good showcase. And and you're right. I remember Steve Nash coming in and this was young, young Steve Nash. And my memory are, uh, is that he was not the starting point guard on that team. I think Ronnie was Ronnie McMahon still. I think Ronnie McMahon might've been the starting point guard on that. He team. was. Yeah. Yeah. And Nash would come in, you know, to spell him for a few minutes here, a few minutes there. And I'm not, claiming to be smarter than anybody else, but it was like, who's this kid? This kid's really good. Um, and you could see the seeds of what he would become then. And again, this is just before, this is February of 94, I want to, it's in 94, right? It was in, so it's before the Raptors and the Grizzlies are a thing. Um, and again, it wasn't as easy to see games on TV or dial up things on the internet. You know, it was a different world back then, but I remember seeing him and saying, I, I don't know what he's going to be, but this kid's good. Was that um, opportunity to call the world a bit of a, a launch to you going to TSN a year later and starting to, you, cause you covered a lot of sports at TSN when you were there. Yeah, it's fun. actually separate. So I don't want to, I, I don't want to bore you with too long of a story, but okay. um, let, let me remember my own timeline here. So right. um I started, so Jim Houston, who is still one of the lead voices for Hockey Night in Canada, back then he was doing hockey and the Blue Jays. Okay. And then Jim decided to leave the Blue Jays and just focus on hockey. So the hockey, the uh, Blue Jay job came up for the 95 season, and I applied for the Blue Jay job. Didn't get it. And then three months later, uh, TSN called me back and offered it to me. So I don't know who they tried to hire or why they didn't hire him. And I, it, the funny part is I've never been choice A for any job I've gotten. I've always been B, C, or D, but I've gotten lucky. So they called me back, and in, in 95, I started doing Blue Jay games on TSN. Um, in September of 95, ESPN called me. I had done a little ESPN radio work right. through a quirky, fluky story I won't bore you with. In September of 95, ESPN called me and said, hey, so-and-so is not feeling well they're sick or something, they can't make a game, can you fill in on an ESPN baseball game for us tomorrow? And it was an off day for the Blue Jays, so I did the ESPN game. They called me back and they thanked me and they said, do you do any other sports? And I said, well, I did this World Championships of Basketball last year in Toronto. Right. And they said, so this is now like September of 95. And they said, can you send in a demo tape? And I said, sure. And I didn't have a demo tape, so I made, I made a demo tape back then. And I sent it to ESPN, and they called me about a week later, and they said, would you like to do college basketball for ESPN? And I said, sure. So th- everything's kind of connected, but not really, if, if you know what I mean. So, right. but, so my life, like in, in 94, I was working at the fan radio, um, and the, uh, the, the world championships were like a one-off. And then in 95, all of a sudden, I was a Blue Jay guy and an ESPN guy. Like, it happened that fast. Never saw it coming. Never could have imagined it. Um, and it, it was wonderful. And and the chance to do, uh, I mean, Major League Baseball and college basketball, two deep, deep loves of mine. I've always loved the NBA. And I did the NBA a little bit in Canada. and in And I did it for five years for ESPN as well. But I've always been an enormous college basketball fan. So they get right. that phone call saying, would you like to do college basketball for ESPN? Like you almost think you're getting punked. It's such a good phone call. So um, it was a wonderful opportunity. Um, with respects to covering college basketball for ESPN, your time doing that. Um, I just want to talk a little bit of Canadian players coming up through uh, division one, who stands out the most to you coming from Canada with uh, respect to their careers down there? <sighs> You know, I, I'm very fortunate in that I get to do a lot of Duke basketball games. So right. I'll, and maybe so there's some recency bias here, but, um, you know, the, the RJ Zion year, I think I did 14 of Duke's, however, 38 game, whatever they played. Right. So, and I did um, the summer before, and I know you'll remember this, Duke came to Canada and played some exhibition games up here. 
Right. And Jay Billis and I did those for ESPN Plus, and I think they ran on TSN as well. They did. So we did the two games in Toronto and the one in Montreal. So, you know, to see that much RJ up close that year was fantastic. Um, and, and he had a great year, and he was the third pick in the draft. And, you know, had Zion not existed, I think that, you know, people would look at RJ even differently than they do. You know, he's obviously a very special talent. There's There's... There's no doubt about that. He's got all kinds of skills. Um, so R.J. Barrett is one that comes to mind. I remember, this is going back a few more years, I remember being at a Texas practice, and uh, I, I always will ask the coach or the SID, if there's a Canadian player, I will always say, hey, I'm sure they don't know or care who I am. I said, but I'm from near where they're from, and I'd like to go introduce myself to them. And I remember introducing myself to Corey Joseph and Tristan Thompson. Yeah. And just having a great conversation with them. Um, and it was funny, many years later, you know, I, I'm trying to remember how many years Corey was at Texas, two, I think, maybe. But, you know, once they go to the NBA, like, I lose touch with, like, they're gone, right? I don't see them again. Right. And then two years ago, two years ago, a friend of mine who's a, a big charitable guy, donor, sponsor, all that sort, he said, hey, I've got floors for the Raptor game. You want to come? I said, sure, I'd love to come. And they were playing, uh, I think Corey was with Sacramento then, but I, whoever Corey was with. So I'm, and we're sitting down in the first row and it's during the national anthems. And I'm just standing there and I look over at Corey and Corey looks at me and I hadn't seen Corey in 12 years, maybe at that right. point. And Corey looks at me and he just did like that. Like, just like, I, I remember it. And I did it back and I was like, that's cool. Corey remembers me. And it, 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 it was great. So, you know, Corey and Tristan were guys uh, I got a chance to know. Did a bunch of Andrew Wiggins games at Kansas, right. obviously. Um, uh, never really got to know him. Very, you know, quiet, uh, introverted, introverted kind of guy. But there have been so many. I, I mean, Nick Stauskas, right? Like the career Nick Stauskas had at Michigan right. was great. Um, Quincy Garrier, who's still playing now at Syracuse, and now he's – um, he's going to Oregon. I mean, there have been so many of them. When when I started, you know, if you had a, a good player at Canisius or Niagara or something like that, you were like, man, that's pretty cool. And and now you got, you know, Melvin Edgem wins Big 12 Player of the Year at Iowa State, right? You got Conference Players of the Year. You've right. got, we didn't mention Anthony Bennett. You got first overall picks. You've got All-Americans and yeah, uh, it, it's been great, and it's it's not going away. I mean, I watched the uh, you know the U nineteen tournament. I'm sure you did as well. And yeah. and sometimes I'm a little late to the party until a guy shows up in college. Sometimes I don't know as much about them as sixteen, seventeen year olds as I should. And then it's like, wow, who's this Josh Primo dude? How do I get Alabama on my schedule? And then he's a first round pick. You know, six yeah. months later. So. Yeah. Um, selfishly, I wish some of them would stick around college a little longer because that's what I do. But if they're good enough to go, go. Yeah, for sure. Kentucky just landed the number one recruit, uh, shit yeah. on sharp there. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, hopefully you'll get some Kentucky games. Um, he looks, uh, yeah. he looks well, really good. And that's good. another one. When Shea, you know, I didn't mention Jamal Murray or Shea Gilgis Alexander. I mean, two of the, right. you know, two of the absolute best, um, two of the best players we have. And, and, um, not to bounce around too much, but the first time I saw Jamal was at the Pan Am games that I did, whatever year that was, 15, I think. 2015, I think yeah. yeah. Yeah, in Toronto. And to see him as whatever he was, 18 years old then, to go out and play the way that he did against the U.S. and Argentina and Brazil. And it was, you know, if, if Jamal Murray had been a stock, I was – I was buying right then. I'd I'd have put some money down on Jamal Murray then, and you could see it in Shea too as soon as he got to Lexington. Yeah, for sure. So, 2011, Dan named the National Sportscaster of the Year by the National Sportscasters and Sports Writers Association, making you the first Canadian-born announcer to be so honored. Tell me about that feeling and just you know being recognized by your peers as the best that year to do it. That that was overwhelming um, because it's a U.S. thing, as you said. It's not it's not a Canadian thing, and I'm just as honored by Canadian things. But that's it's a bigger pond down there, obviously. And right. my my recollection is that I got a phone call. It's right around Christmas or New Year's when you find out about it. And I got a phone call from Dave Gorin, who I know, 
telling me that I had won the award. I don't even remember if I knew that I was a finalist for the award. I know much more about the process since than I knew before. Um, And he said, so we're going to need you to come down to North Carolina. We've got a banquet in June and you'll be there with the writer of the year and this year's Hall of Fame broadcaster inductee and Hall of Fame writer inductee. And like Bob Costas was the Hall of Fame broadcaster going in that year. And I was the, I was the, you know, the national, the national award winner for that year. Um, And the writers were great writers as well. And it was a banquet for like 600 people. So I took some family down and I also took, um, I asked the program director and the news director at the fan, the two people who literally gave me my start in the business um, I said, can I, can you guys come down? Can you fly down? And the program director, I said, can you introduce me? Cause I said, I wouldn't be here without you. And, cool. um, it was, it was very, very special. It was, you know, I, again, I was a math major who just happened to knock on a door that said radio Western, right? So it's not like I was that kid who dreamt of this and this and this growing up. Um, when I decided to try to get into broadcasting about six months after I graduated, uh, I did it cause I just like, I wanted to have fun. You know, it's nothing, nothing noble or anything like that. I just said, I think this looks like, like it would be really fun. And, and I knew I wanted to get into sports. So then to be, to, to get these awards is incredible. It's not something that I have spent a lot of time thinking about, but I, I think you use the term peers and, and. To be re- the people who vote on that award, I mean, I'm now I now vote on it because once I knew about the that organization, I joined it. I'm part of the membership, and so I vote every year as well. To be to get an award when it's voted on by the people who do what you do, um, I think it's very special. Just like you know, if a, if a professional athlete wins uh, an award that's voted on by the writers, that's awesome. But if they win an award that's voted on by the other players in their league that's even a little more special because those are the people that really understand what you do. Yeah, for sure. That's a great insight. We appreciate that. And uh, I mentioned this before we recorded this little cool fact about you just kind of wrapping up some stuff before Canada basketball, you suited up for the Canadian Masters squad in basketball at the Maccabiah games. Um, just describe that a little bit. Cause I know, you know, that's important. You're obviously a proud Canadian, but then, uh, you know, you're representing uh, your community and your faith as well. Yeah. So it's something that, um, again, I just kind of fell into, and I don't want to make it sound like more than it is because I'm not a very good player. Um, but the Maccabee games happen every four years in Israel. And the, the sim, I'm Jewish. And the simplest way to think of it, think of it is as a Jewish Olympics, but it's at different age groups too. There's like a U16 and a U18 there's an open and then there's a master's. Uh, I'm a master's because I'm old. So um, I was I was asked to uh, uh, put, put a team together for a charity basketball tournament 10, 11 years ago at Hoop Dome, a great, right. a big, great uh, complex in, uh, in Toronto, which is actually co-owned, I believe, I don't want to say the wrong thing here, but co-owned uh, by Glenn Grunwald and a guy, Ted Badner, that I went to high school with. He was a year ahead of me and he owns uh, Hoop Dome. And so I was aware of it. And, and somebody said, Hey, we're doing a charitable tournament. Can you put a team together and promote it a little bit? So I did a couple of interviews. And I was on the fly or whatever. So I got a bunch of my buddies that I had played with either in high school or intramural at university or men's league after. And we played. And amazingly enough, we made the finals. Um, and we got, we got beat pretty good in the finals. Um, and then like a month later, I got a call from the, um, uh, I guess he's the president of the Canadian Maccabee Association. And he said, we'd like you to help. Would you like to speak at a dinner? We'd like to raise money for this. We'd like to have you as a speaker. And I said, sure. And I went in for a meeting and I walked in and another guy at the meeting, I looked at him and he looked at me and I said, didn't we just play you in basketball last month? And he said, yeah. And he said, after the meeting, he said, you want to come out and run with us on Tuesday night? And I said, all right. And like, these are guys, uh, I guess, late thirties, early forties at the time. So we went out and played and I didn't even realize I just went out for the run. And at the end of the, at the run, he came up to me and he said, would you like to join our team? And I said, I like, I don't know what you're talking about. What team are we talking about? And so this is, this is a master's team. Um, and every four years, uh, there are games in Israel. And so, 
Um, I've, I've been on the Canadian Masters team. And, and again, I am. we have some great players. I am not one of them. I am there to set screens, use my elbows, use my fouls, and if I ever touch the ball, all three guards yell, give it to me right away. And I give it to them right away because they're the guys who can score. But I, you know what? It's been, it's been a great experience. Some of my closest friends uh, are guys I've met through that. And over the last 10, 11 years, so I've played once in Brazil, twice in Israel. Um, we typically win the bronze because the U.S. and Israel are just a little bit better than we are. But I've gotten it. I've never been to Brazil before. And, you know, to get to go to Israel and play against Argentina, play against Russia, um, play against the U.S., you know, it, it's just great. It makes you feel like a kid again. You, you know, on the one hand, we're old men and what are you doing? This is silly. But it makes you feel like a kid again. And um, it's helped me keep in shape, which is not a bad thing when you're a middle aged guy. So it's right. it's been a wonderful experience. No, that's a cool story, and I it caught my eye, so I appreciate you sharing that. Uh, Dan, obviously on Canada Hoops, we like to talk Canada basketball with our guests, especially with those who have played for Canada, or in your case, call games for Canada basketball. I know we can go pretty far back and deep with respect to the, the experiences and, and different memories that you have with the program and knowledge, but, um, you know, what sticks out the most for you so far, just – if you go even to 94, we talked about that, 2000, 2015, just some, some key moments for the program, maybe on a trajectory. Yeah. So I, I will I will never claim to be as uh, knowledgeable as someone like yourself and others are. I've, I've, you know, I've listened to other episodes of your podcast, and I follow people on Twitter who, um, who are wonderful um, uh, resources and wonderful sources of information. Right. I, I've always kind of been pulled, you know, I've got, there's Blue Jay me, and then there's Sunday Night Baseball me, and then there's College Basketball me, and so there are times where I've uh, missed out on things that I wish I knew more about. Um, 94 was great. I, I Back in 94, I did not know enough about the history of the program, um, the highs and lows, the pros and cons of the program. I was just there calling games. Um right. You know, 2000, uh, we remember them, you know, them going to the Olympics. And again, it's kind of the, unfortunately, there's so much, so close, but in this, on the men's side, if we're talking about the men's side right yeah. now, yeah. you know, and, and uh, you know, 2000 is another example of that. They they did well, but they were that close to, to doing even better. And then there's a period of a number of years where things just weren't going well. They just weren't, didn't have the talent, weren't getting enough players 2015. So, um, I did those games, uh, right. that was me and Leo and that was for TSN. And we were sitting in a tiny little studio. We were not in Mexico. We were sitting in a tiny little studio and again, you know, blew out Venezuela by 20 in the first round looked great. And, uh, I haven't watched that game. I should watch that game back. I'm sure I could find it on YouTube or something, but you know, it just felt like they kind of got punked a little bit in the in the semifinal. Venezuela was a an older, I mean, they're like Venezuela always is, right? They're older right. and they're tougher and they're meaner, and I mean that as a compliment. And they they learned from their first game with Canada. They learned what they had to do, and they and they did it. Um, you know, Kelly had a great Kelly Olynyk had a great game and yep. didn't get enough help. And uh, you know, a questionable foul call at the end which by the way, as a play-by-play guy was confusing as hell. We were sitting in a studio in Toronto and it was really hard to know what was going on at right. the most important part of the game back then. So 2015 uh, was obviously uh, very painful. And and uh, as an aside, I, I had and have a clause in my various other contracts that says if the Canadian men's team qualifies for the Olympics, I can take time away from my other employers. And if I get hired, I can go do the Olympics. So cool. like I was going, I was going to Rio and until they lost that game. And I, and I, uh, I had been hired to do the job, but they had to make it in order for me to accept the job. So, but you know, felt for everybody in the program, felt for Jay Triano, felt for everybody. It was, it was, it was hard. And then probably the last five, six years is when I've really, really locked in. Like if they're playing the Virgin Islands, I, I'm on the zone at, you know, one twenty in the morning or whatever to, you know, watching that game now. And I've gotten to know 
a lot more about the other players. Uh, I mean, not nearly as much as, you know, I heard your episode with Scott Witter, not nearly as much as you know and Scott knows, but um, but I follow some of the international players a little bit more. Again, I see, I see a lot of them coming up through college, uh, but then they're gone. And if they're in the NBA, I still see them, but if they wind up overseas, I don't see them as much, but I'm doing a better job following them now. And, you know, it was great in the last go-round leading up to the World Cup seeing, um, and you'll know what I mean, seeing our B and C players right. do well enough. You know, you obviously you can't get your best players because of the November window and the February window and all that. But seeing our next level of players and maybe even the next level of players do enough to get Canada into the World Cup. Um, but then I, I was at the game. I don't want to mix up my time frames here, but I was at the game. They were playing. They had an exhibition game um, in Toronto when uh, Kelly slipped and hurt his right. knee, right? And um, and he was he was going to go to China. And ultimately, I don't know how much of a difference that would have made because in order to qualify for the Olympics right out of China, they would have had to have been one of the top two teams, one of the top two America's teams. That's hard. So, but it. it China was hard because the guys who were there played so well, did did everything they could, but they just didn't have enough talent, right? So, so now Victoria, and I'm sure we can we can I'm sure we'll talk about Victoria, which again, so close. You know, how can you get closer than they got? Um, but all you can do, you know, listen, you're either in emotionally or you're out, right? Both as players and as fans or as broadcasters. All you can do is look forward to the World Cup in 23 and Paris in 24 and hope it has a different ending. No, well put. And uh, a couple of things I'll point out. I know uh, I've heard you mention you're not a, a huge fan of the Windows qualifiers, and I don't think a lot of us are. But I do like the Windows qualifiers for the idea that we get to see some of these other guys, you know, make mm-hmm. that commitment, uh, come overseas, sorry, come from overseas and play in these Windows. I think that. It's good for the program, and it's nice to see a lot of these guys. And I've had past guests who have done done that, played in them, and um, you know uh, they value it, and we value them. Yep. So there's there's one positive, but the windows, right. FIBA FIBA wants to do what FIBA wants to do. But uh, and yep. the other thing too, uh, just with respect to Victoria, I think um, you know positive. We're seeing more of a more of an effort, more of a buy in from guys to to represent and play. I mean, the reemergence of Andrew Wiggins and, and Andrew demonstrated that he's a guy we need. Um, he is a player we need to have on our team. It was nice to see him back playing for Canada. Uh, RJ's bought in. It seems like he really cares. Um, what are your thoughts? Nick Nurse is, is recommitted. You know, there was an alleged yep. uh, summit at Summer League with uh, guys that would play for Canada, so that looks positive. I think that's a, a good thing there. Um you know, Glenn Grunwald has decided to step down, and we've got Mike Bartlett taking over as CEO. So, uh, things look things look look strong. You know, things do look strong. You know, not to go back too much again, but the pandemic all the pandemic hurt everybody in a million different ways. But it right. hurt Canada too because, as as you well remember, um, if this had happened the year before, you know, you remember that seven day period where. Jamal, I'm in. Shay, I'm in. It, boom, right. boom, 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 right? And then uh, Jamal Murray gets hurt. And, and I don't focus as much on Jamal because if Jamal had been healthy, Denver might have Denver might have played long enough that he might not have been able to come to Victoria. And I Agreed. think people overlook right. that sometimes. Yeah. But had Shay not gotten hurt, Shay Gilgis-Alexander, I believe, would have come. And it might have been enough. Like if you're that close and you add Shea Gilgis Alexander, that might have been enough. But to be fair, Greece lost a bunch of guys to injury. Uh, Turkey didn't have Shane Larkin, who's a really good player. Right. Um, but you got to give credit to the Czech Republic. You know, Thomas Sadoransky got on the plane, never went back, you know, was in Chicago, got on the plane, went and was great and made the shot that, that broke Canadians' hearts. But, um, if I were a cigar smoker the day that Nick Nurse said I'm in through 2024, I would have lit a cigar, but I don't smoke cigars. But figuratively, I lit a cigar because I'm not sure any of us will understand the importance of having someone 
like Nick Nurse being the head coach of the program because who's got more credibility with the NBA players than him? And it, it's it's fantastic. And you you mentioned Andrew Wiggins and R.J. Barrett. Um, I think it's totally unfair for anybody to get on their case about how they played in Victoria. I thought they both played very well. I, I really Agreed. do. Yeah. Um, Lou Dort and Nikhil Alexander-Walker were studs, studs in my opinion. You've got four cornerstones right there. Dwight Powell, I love Dwight Powell. Absolutely love everything about Dwight Powell, right? Dwight Powell could have easily said, you know what, guys? I tore my Achilles last year, and I just played a full season, and I got to shut it down. And he didn't. So I think he got five mainstays right there. Hopefully, he will stay in the program. Um, we all know what Corey Joseph has done, Captain Canada, over the years. Right. Um, and Corey is certainly a part of the program. But if you can get Jamal or Shea, never mind both, obviously, your point guard position gets even stronger. Um, and then you got to get some size. Uh, you know, look how big Greece is. Look how big Turkey is. Look how big the Czechs were. Look how big everybody. Look how big everybody is. Right. Um, and the shame of it all is if Kelly Olenek had been a free agent the year before or the year after, I like to think he would have been there. I mean, it was right in his backyard too, right? Yeah. And, and I'm not blaming Kelly. I haven't been in his situation. He's played for Canada so much. But if Kelly had been there, I think they'd have gone to the Olympics. Now, I don't think they would have medaled, but I think they'd have gone to the Olympics and that there'd be a lot of great vibes and positive momentum. So I'm hoping Kelly will play next time, although I did take note of the fact that the Olympics are three years away and he signed a three-year contract. I'm sure you took note of that fact as well. So Yes, we did, yeah. Yes, um, but will uh, will Zach Eady be ready by then? Will uh, I think it's Charles Bediaco who's going to Alabama this year. Will he be ready by then? Um, you, in international ball, you, well, and Ken Birch is another one, right? Like it, it, Ken Birch just, and it's great for him the way that it's turned out. I'm so happy for him, but Ken Birch was really good in China, and Ken Birch would have given Dwight Powell a lot of help, Um uh, in Victoria. And that's not to take away from Trey Lyles. Trey Lyles has a spot on this team as well. They just needed more size. So um, I'm really, really hoping that some of the guys I mentioned will join the guys who were there. You don't need 12 NBA players, uh, I don't think. Um, and, and they had eight or nine. You you need the right players. And they need a little bit more at the point and a little bit more inside, I think. And then they should be good enough to, to qualify. But as you know, the FIBA qualification process is, is complicated. And in all likelihood, you're going to have to do it in one of these last chance tournaments, unless you can have a great world cup. So that's the thing. And I, and I, I love hearing Nick nurse say, Hey, if you're not in, we'll talk to you in 2025. But I hope that turns out well, where the guys say I want in badly enough that I'm going to give up two summers, not one. Right. Well put uh, by the legend Dan Schulman. Dan, who is your top five of all time for Canada basketball? This is hard. So, and and again, I will admit to not being as knowledgeable um, as yourself and and many others. Uh, to me, three are easy: um, Steve Nash, Corey Joseph, Kelly Olynyk. I, I think those are easy. Um, uh, I'm sure uh, somebody would argue, but I, 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 you know, I mean, Steve Nash, it's obvious. And Corey Joseph and Kelly Olenek have both played for Canada so much and at such a high level and all over the world that I think they belong there. So I thought about this a little bit because you gave me a heads up. And again, um, if I'm overlooking somebody obvious here, I apologize. But I'd like to celebrate some players who maybe aren't household names like the other guys, but have done a lot for the program. Right. And I couldn't cut it down to two. So I'm going to get my five man team is going to be a six man team. If that's cool. okay. Cool. Uh, I am a huge fan of Kevin Pangos, Melvin Edgem and Aaron Dornicamp. And I feel badly leading Brady Heslip out. Cause I think Brady Heslip deserves a lot of credit as well. But these are the guys who were playing in Europe and had to travel 24 hours to get to Chile or the Philippines or wherever they were playing. And every time they got a phone call, virtually every time they, they got a phone call, they said yes. Um, and I, I think they deserve a lot of credit for that because a lot of them 
said yes, knowing that if the program ultimately got to where it wanted to get, there was no guarantee that they'd get the phone call that time. And to me, that takes a special kind of dedication to say, you know what, I'm going to fly from Spain to Chile, I'm just making it up, to play for three days now, even though they may not call me next summer when the stakes are higher. So I think guys like Pangos and Edgem and Dornicamp deserve a lot of credit. Well, that's a great uh, five and six men, and that's a first. I don't think anyone's ever shouted out Aaron Dornicamp in their uh, group. And uh, shout out Melvin Edgem, a friend of Canada Hoops, too. He's joined us. So uh, I like it. That's a, that's a great six. So who are the other guys, like, after Nash and Joseph and uh, Olenek? I would guess Tristan Thompson would get a lot of uh, mention. Yeah, a lot, but a lot of people go uh, a little old, and they give a lot of love to Leo. Um, yeah. Jay, Tr- Jay Triano gets a lot of yeah. love, right, rightfully so. Um, yep. Carl English. Um, yep. You know, Carl. All great choice. Yeah, shout out Carl, my first guest. Um, man, there's so many. Joel Anthony. I mean, and, and I've said actually with other people in conversations, like I don't know that I myself could do a, a five. It'd be really hard. I would need I would need a roster almost because there's so many great people, like you said. Yeah, and maybe I've got a little recency bias there when I say Pangos and Edgem and Dornicamp, but I I like all three of their games and everything I've ever heard. Uh, you know, about the people they are and the teammates they are and the and the dedication and the sacrifice. Um, uh, you, you know, even if Canada gets to a point where they could literally choose the, any 12 players they want and say, yes, I hope there's a place. And Dornicamp's a little bit older, but, but I hope there's a place for that type of player. Um, Melvin Edgem can help people. Kevin Pangos can help people uh, on that team because of their... Um, and, and Pangos is coming back to the NBA now, so it's a different story, but, but they can help people in international basketball. They have, you know, they've been there, done that more than anybody else. So, uh, I, I've got a lot of admiration for guys like that. Well, well put. And, uh, you know, we appreciate that insight. Can we do a few, uh, fun, random questions? I think I got three for you, Dan. Sure. I'll, I'll do my best. What is the best place? to call a game in college basketball with respect to the atmosphere and perhaps their tradition? Allen Fieldhouse, Kansas. There, there are great ones. Um, Cameron Indoor Stadium, Duke, phenomenal. Assembly Hall, Indiana, phenomenal. Mackey Arena, Purdue, phenomenal. But it's Allen Fieldhouse, Kansas. When you walk through the doors, Matty, it's, it feels like it's 1955. You just you feel like you've been transformed or transported back to a, another time the noise, the energy, the tradition, um, even the the Jayhawk logo on the middle of the court, it's, it is awesome. I have cool. uh, wonderful, wonderful memories of going to Kansas. I know you're a big Green Bay Packers fan. Who is your all-time favorite Packer? It's probably, I mean, I love Aaron Rodgers. I do. It's hard not to, you know, he won a Super Bowl and has been a a multiple time MVP, but it's probably the guy who got me into the Packers. And this is into the Wayback machine back into the eighties. The San Diego chargers had a great wide receiver named John Jefferson, who I loved and he got traded to the Packers. And that's why I became a Packer fan. I love Jefferson so much that even though I was a chargers fan, I went over to the Packers when Jefferson got traded to the Packers. So I, I think I've got to say him. That's cool. Other than Toronto, you know, your home area, what is your favorite place in Canada? That's a great question. Um, I will give you two. I've been to Banff only twice, I think. But Banff, Alberta, I think is one of the prettiest places I have ever seen in my life. Right. And one of my sons lives in Halifax. And, uh, I love Halifax. I, I think, and I've done a little, you know, a little roaming around in Nova Scotia, uh, when I've gone to see him, haven't been able to do as much during the pandemic because the restrictions were really strict out there. That's the one I told you about who got married uh, at the beginning of the podcast. So, right. but I would say Banff and Halifax are the first two places that come to mind. Great answers. I can look out my window right now and pretty much see the mountains towards Banff. And then, uh, I got lots of love for Nova Scotia. My wife's from Cape Breton. So. It's, nice. uh, hits right on the spot. Dan, I know you made a lot of connections, uh, you know, both personally, personally and professionally through the career. Any shout outs or uh, thank yous before I get you out of here? 
Uh, well, we mentioned Leo. I, I'll, I'll give a shout out to Leo. Leo and I have been uh, friends for a long time. And back when I was young and and didn't know a whole lot, he was partnered up with me for the World Championships. And I did some Raptors and Grizzlies games with him. And we've remained friends ever since. Um, and so uh, I want to give a, a big shout out to uh, to Leo, you know, and, and to to some of the the early people in, in, in my industry who did basketball, you know, a guy like John Saunders, the late John Saunders, who was a great, uh, a great guy, a friend of mine and a great broadcaster. Um, and when I used to see him in New York once or twice a year uh, at the, at the, the Jimmy V doubleheader for the V foundation, ESPN's charity um, in memory of Jim Valvano, John Saunders was on the board of directors. And, and so he would host the pregame show and I would do the games so we'd see each other in New York and always have like the little joke and the secret Canadian handshake joke. Like there was no secret Canadian, but we had, right. you know, have people think that, you know, we just, even though we didn't see each other uh, hardly at all, just the fact that we were from the same area and both being down in the U S it was, it, um, it was great to see him. And uh, you know, a more general one is uh, a lot of the college basketball coaches who I've bothered for time over the years from Roy Williams to Bill Selv to Mike Krzyzewski, wh- whoever it is. Like, again, I'm just some Canadian kid who had a hoop on his driveway who was a math major who loved basketball. And the fact that I've been able and, you know, been lucky enough to go to Kentucky and Kansas and Duke and Carolina and do games, these college coaches are, are and the assistant coaches are amazing. And, and Tom Izzo is another one. I got to shout out Tom Izzo, who won't let me – be in the gym for five seconds before he throws a Canada joke in my face. He's, he's huh. always, he, he thinks Canadians are hilarious. And, um, I, I, I'm the butt of a lot of jokes from us college coaches, not as many now that Canada's producing so many great players. Right. Now it's like, Hey, should we recruit up there more? Who do you hear about? And stuff like that. But, um, you know, I've been very lucky. That's, that's been the world that I've been immersed in for the last 26, 27 years. And, and, I uh, just want to thank all of them for giving this, uh, you know, goofy, bald Canadian guy some time over the years. Well, that's awesome. Well put. And uh, listen, we really appreciate you joining us on Canada Hoops. All the best to you and your family, Dan. Uh, stay safe, stay healthy. And we're looking forward to, to hearing you and seeing you on the Blue Jays for the rest of the year as well. You as well, Maddie. Thank you. Keep doing the great work you're doing on Canada basketball. And uh, we're all hoping for the same thing over the next two to three years. Absolutely. That does it for the first episode of Season 2 on Canada Hoops. What a way to get started. I want to thank the legend Dan Shulman for pulling up. Thank you for your support. Continue to like and share Canada Hoops. Keep spreading love for Canadian basketball. We will see you on the next episode. Thank you for listening to Canada Hoops.